Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. This is a joy for a Monday evening, I have to say, because I am joined by Man of the Minch. Hello. I feel like there should be some sort of like fireworks or explosions or pyrotechnics there when I say that. (laughs) Because when I have been online doing my digging as I do, your music has been described like no other as galactic folk pop. (laughs) It has, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. Um, trying to find like a descriptor for the kind of music that I play has been a bit of a nightmare. Um, okay. So that was like, I'd say about a year and a half ago when my bass settled on that. And it's mainly just because I play sort of folk music, a mix of folk music and country music and also electronics and dance music and uh, pop music so it was just trying to find how do you describe that so but yeah we went with gal- galactic folk pop because we were using a um because we we're using a lot of synths and stuff but um i'm not really sure how would you describe it oh well i think it's i think it's absolutely perfect because i was listening to your music before we come on to this and i was like yeah that 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 is pretty spot on i think i do <laughs> love circles Oh, thank you. I really do. I love it. And there's, I don't know what, I, I hope you don't, like, I always feel bad when I'm, like, comparing people's music to someone else's. I'm a big Jackson Brown fan. Oh, wow, that's a compliment. And I, there was some, there's something very, like, I don't know, there was just something in my head. I was like, oh, yeah, I like that. I like this. This is, this is just reminding me just a smidgen of Jackson Brown. So, yeah, lo- love it. It's a cracking track. I mean, I've listened to lots of your stuff and stuff that you've put on Instagram and even covers that you've done I mean what a beautiful voice you've got and I know and we're going to get into it, that you are a musician and you play um, many different instruments but um, what a beautiful singing voice you have oh thank you so much I will say I am speaking to Pedro Cameron who is man of the minch and one of my first questions is going to be a question that I'm sure you've probably been asked a million times and mm-hmm. that would be why are you called man of the minch but then I looked up the Minch. And am I right in saying that it's got something to do with a strait in the northwest of Scotland separating the Northwest Highlands and the Northern Inner Hebrides? Yes, well, well Googled. Um, <laughs> um, I took the name Man in the Minch from, it's actually from an old Scottish folktale um, called the Blue Men of the Minch, which is a sort of a version of the, the mermaid myth. And uh, it's these sort of blue men that live in that, in the sea there, the in the Minch, um, that are sort of mischievous sort of creatures and uh, uh, sink ships. So I always, I quite liked it as a version of like, I saw it as quite kind of like a queer version of like the mermaids myth. I like the idea of like these sort of brawny sort of blue Scottish men that are luring ships to their doom rather than sort of sirens or or mermaids so that was kind of where i got that where i got that name from i love this this is like this podcast is like an education (laughs) and what was it about did you feel that you wanted this kind of alias separate to your very cool name that is pedro cameron um i don't know actually i think uh, 
basically because of the way that I perform the music, like it's a, a solo project, but it's also like a massive project. Like I've got a six piece band that I'll play live with, but I also play on my own or I play as a three piece with like, with a fiddle player and a harmony singer. Um, and I just like the idea of having it be separate from me um, and have it be its own yeah. its own thing. It kind of represents what I do in a little bit because I sort of, of my interpretation of that story, um, of that queer interpretation of it, um, it was kind of represented what I do, which is like a queer modern version of like an old type of, uh, or old way of playing. Um, so yeah, that was kind of where where that came from and I, I hear a lot I speak a lot to other songwriters and quite a few of them say that that they want sometimes they regret having it just be their name they find it difficult to like separate yeah. themselves from the from the music um, and from a persona or whatever so that was kind of my reasoning behind it yeah I just thought it was a, 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 an interesting name and it certainly well, it's hopefully memorable. Yeah, it is. And that's the thing. Like, I think it's got that air of, like, mysteriousness. Like, mm-hmm. oh, Man of the Minch. Like, who's that? What's that about? And obviously you've told me that that folk story that I'm like, oh, yeah, it's cool. And, like, how you identified with that and that made sense to you. But, yeah, like, I guess, like, you think of, like, you know, the most famous people with, like, aliases, uh, you know, the first person that's come in my head is Lady Gaga. And you're thinking, yeah, that makes a lot of sense when, you know, you are multifaceted, you are, you can be many people in your life. And I was just thinking when you were saying about how you perform your music, do you think that you have a different persona on stage when you're actually performing live? Um, I'm not sure that I do, actually. Um, funnily enough, I, I put quite a lot of myself into into my music, and yeah, I, I think I just try to be as myself as possible. So I was just curious as to whether that you that name, Man of the Minch, gave you like permission to maybe be a different person on stage. But like like you say, it's, it's it sounds like it's more to do with just um, the music itself. What what goes into your music is very much all about you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I was kind of inspired a bit by, um, there's there's quite a few Scottish acts that, that use that kind of thing as well. There's like Ken Creaso and uh, Pictus Trail. And I just like the idea of being able to use it like quite broadly and um, it can refer to just me or it can refer to like a whole group of people. I'm sort of I'm making an album at the moment, and I'm I think I'm going to have in total about fifteen or so musicians on it. So I want to sort of have it all encompassing, you know. Love it. So taking you back a bit to I guess your childhood, or even just as like a young person growing up, what kind of music were you listening to? What were your musical influences? at those kind of former uh, formative years and are is that the kind of music that you feel has influenced your own music yeah so interesting as well like it's kind of a melting pot of all the things that I listened to when I was growing up my parents listened to like Jackson Brown for example and like Johnny Cash Steve Earle uh, people like that John Martin and then also like traditional music like uh, uh, Capra Cayley and sort of bands like that and but I mean I was Spice Girls obsessive as well so yeah. I, I think it's just a mix of all my kind of influences I'm not very regimented about what I listen to and I've kind of been sort of exposed to all kinds of different 
music growing up. So it's all kind of like swirled together into what I do as uh, as Mad of the Minch. Mm, I think it's, I think it's really important for everybody to have like a kind of an eclectic soundtrack in their yeah. life, like to listen to to give everything a chance. You know, certainly when I was growing up, I was listening to lots of different types of music that like you, my parents enjoyed. But even like within my mum and dad, like they had similar interests in music, but then there was stuff that my mum would play when my dad was mm-hmm. out because it was more like her music, like Michael Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always remember listening to like M People in the car. Yes, my mum, that was my mum as well. M People. I remember actually buying her an album for like Mother's Day, and it was M People. <laughs> so yeah, I, like I, I just love music. I just love music that makes you feel good, and I don't believe there's, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. That's so true. Actually. Yeah, that's so true. I just don't. I think you just like what you like, and that that's what I'm certainly like. And there's a lot of stuff that I probably should like. Or like you're told that you should like, or that are classics or whatever that yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just not interested in, like the Beatles and things like that. I mean, I know that they're objectively good, but I don't like them. But my bucket list band is Destiny's Child. Like if they played anywhere in the world, I would pay any amount of money and go anywhere in the world to see them play. I've actually seen Destiny's Child. No live. way. I can't even remember what year it was. Um, I remember just being in total awe that I was at this stadium watching Destiny's Child and my pals were all like, why are you not dancing? Why are you not singing? I think I was just like frozen on the spot just watching and obviously each of them came out and did their own solo set. So like Beyonce did like Naughty Girl and all that and then Kelly came out and then uh, Michelle, she did like a gospel thing mm-hmm. and oh my goodness, it was amazing. It really was. Like I feel like quite lucky to have seen that. I'm so jealous. That's like, Sorry. I would <laughs> I would die to... To, to see that but so that's like i mean they were quite formative for me i loved like 90s early 2000s r&b and i love like you know like 90s trance music i love like house and techno like i love going clubbing well i did when we were still allowed to do that and <laughs> so yeah there's so many things that that make man the minch like what it is and i like that because then i'm looking at my little bullet points here and you were named the up and coming artist of the year 2019 at the Scots Strad Awards. Yes. So then it's lovely that that I don't know, I don't want to say it's a juxtaposition because like we're saying music's just music and you like what you yeah. like and it can be a lot of different styles. But if I had said that first, maybe somebody would have put you in a box and said, Absolutely. Well, I'm guessing Man of the Minch sounds like this and you're like, no, no, no. And I guess that's why the word galactic is so perfect yeah um it's like futuristic i suppose it's like future folk i suppose but i that was a funny thing um that was a surprise to me it was a surprise that i was even nominated because i didn't really think of myself as i'd say i'm i think of myself as a folk singer and writer but i wouldn't call myself like a traditional musician well, in that guise, but um, I mean, I'm primarily, I grew up as a fiddle player. So that's like, that was my main instrument. I played fiddle for God, almost 25 years now. That was my first thing. And um, But the Man of the Minch thing is just like not, like I didn't think of it as trad. And um, it's, a, it's a good job the, 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 the clip of me winning that award is like lost to the ether because... <laughs> I, it was an absolute disaster. So okay. we'll, we'll talk about this later, but um, my a project that I run called Bullfrog yes. 
was nominated for um, Community Project of the Year at the same awards. Goodness, right? Um, and so I thought Frost was going to win and that there was no chance in hell that I was ever going to win. And Frost, the Community Project of the Year award was announced before the up and coming. And I, w- I had like, I had like a speech written. I like, I, if, if I was going to win something, it was going to be that. And it came and, you know, they were announcing the nominees and then uh, I've never been so anxious in my whole life. I was never been so nervous in my whole life. I was like, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't do this. Like, what am I going to say? How am I going to speak in front of all these people? I'm not much of a, a public speaker. And it came and went and we didn't win. And so I then drank all the free wine that was on the table. And I was like, there's no chance. There's no chance that my lament is going to win. Like, Absolutely no way. There's no way. And so uh, I got very, very drunk. Right. And then, so it was in two halves, the award show. So the first half wasn't televised. And the the first thing that was televised was that, was the Up and Coming Artist um, Award. And um, I was announced and got up on stage and I could not string a sentence together. Like, could not... I was like, oh, um, thank, oh, right, thanks, um, okay. And, like, I was going to be, like, talk about, like, make a point of being, like, queer on this, like, on this traditional music Mm -hmm. stage. And, like, I had all this planned and absolutely nothing. Um, Just didn't, like, didn't come out. (laughs) And uh, so it was a total, total disaster. But um, it was... Well, you still um, won. Amazing to win. (laughs) Oh, of course. And yeah, it's been amazing. And it, it was amazing to win and really sort of affirming. And I was just so chuffed with it. But it's it's been a bit of a shame that I haven't quite been able to, you know, have the year yeah, of it. Of like my sort of my reign or whatever. I don't know how you would describe yeah, it. And uh, so I didn't quite get to do that this year, which has been a bit of a shame. Mm-hmm. You know, awards aside, it must have been just really lovely to be nominated but for your work to be recognised in both of those categories, obviously, because like we Absolutely. Were, before yeah. we started recording, music is obviously a real passion for you. It's something that you have to do. You love it. All the effort and all the energy and all the sacrifices and time and everything that goes into making your music and, and prioritising that in your life as well as doing your other work um it must have just been nice to have that recognition to say oh yeah this is all you know so, someone's heard it and, and really appreciated what i'm doing and it's just like another like almost like a pat in the back to say right okay let's keep going because we're i must be doing something good here oh absolutely and i think i think that was another part of there was maybe like a little bit of imposter syndrome in me where it's not my job it's sort of like a hobby that has but I mean, it, maybe it is my job. It's just like I don't have—I just don't have any free time. Maybe that's the way I need to think about yeah, it. But um, at the time, I was sort of like, "This is just like something I do for fun," and it's sort of miraculously, I've gotten to do a lot with it. And yeah. um, and I did work—I do work hard on it. Um, but it's just fun for me. Like it's my—it's my hobby. It's what I want to do with my with my free time. And having played the fiddle for so long and that being your main instrument, was it just like a kind of natural organic progression into songwriting or did you start composing music first as an instrumentalist and then move on to singer-songwriter stuff? So basically for about 10 years um, before 
um, I started doing management. So I've only been doing management almost three years now. Right. But before that, I was only a fiddle player. Like I didn't sing. Really. Um, I played. I, I played in a band called uh, the Dirty Beggars, which is a um, like a bluegrass uh, country five piece, and we did really great. That was that band did amazing and. It was great, but like my role in that band was the fiddle player. There was three singers in that band. They didn't need another singer. I just never, I never did that. Um, I wrote like a couple of songs for that band, but again, I wasn't the songwriter. I was like the fiddle player, I was like the lead guitarist, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hadn't done a lot of. I'd been starting to write songs, and um, when that band started winding down, basically again, that was something I just did in my spare time. We all did that in the spare time. Um, yeah, when that started to wind down, I started to think about, like, what am I going to do next? Because the reason it started to wind down was because people were getting, like, were getting married and having babies, and two of them were doctors. One of them was a solicitor. So, like, they all had, like, when we talk about proper jobs, they had, like, proper, proper jobs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I didn't really have that, like, coming out of it. Like, I, about that time, started to get into working in the third sector which is what I do for a day job and I was like what am I going to do now like they're not doing it because they don't have the spare time to do it anymore but like I still have the spare yeah, time you still want to prioritize in it. yeah and so I started going to an open mic night at a bar which is now called Macher in Glasgow but it used to be called Crossing the Rubicon yes there was like a wee open mic there a friend of mine uh, Callum McDonald who used to be in a band called Sunshine Social. Um, so he hosted it. It was like just along from my flat in the West End. And I went along and like played a couple of songs and I got like, just got like a really good reaction from it. And then I started going every week and writing songs and playing them at this open mic night. And it just sort of like, it just sort of went from there. And I was like, oh God, like maybe I'm good at this. Maybe I've like, bef- before and until... About three years ago, I'd never sung into a mic before. Wow. Um, I didn't speak into the mic when I was in the Dirty Beggars. I didn't have a mic on stage. I just had my just had my fiddle. Like, look how it's, like, progressed in three years. Wow. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing as well that I've sort of been thinking about recently. And the thing with Man of the Minch is that it's, like, progressed really quickly. And I think a lot of that's to do with Bofrosh. I've had to, like, develop Man of the Minch, like, in very visibly like in the trad scene and the folk scene and the music Glasgow music scene Scottish music scene I've developed and learned how to be a solo artist and a singer songwriter like in front of a lot of people Mm. so whereas other people would be cutting their teeth like and it would take a long time to get to where I was I could kind of take a shortcut because I'd been in the Dirty Beggars for all this time but I wasn't the front man and I wasn't the songwriter and I wasn't really the the personality of it or the you know I, I, yeah sort of the silent member of the band I suppose but like showy in that I was like playing fiddle um, like fast bluegrass fiddle and showing off with that but like not actually giving much of myself away so um, it's been an interesting mm. thing and it's been interesting about like how to it's just sort of run away with itself and sort of I've had to learn you know how how much to put of yourself out there you know on social media and again because we were like pretty much at the time one of the only bluegrass bands in the country people just wanted to listen to us because there wasn't much else to listen to but like when I'm 
trying to forge this sort of singer songwriterness and there's loads of singer songwriters you know um so it's been an, an interesting thing to kind of have to maneuver in quite a yeah, short space yeah. of time so yeah it's been a, a quite a journey but just as you were saying there about what you decide to give of yourself in terms of songwriting do you just very much sit down and see what comes out yeah i mean my post my songwriting process isn't so much a process it's just like a song appears in my head and it like falls out so um mostly I write about myself or my own relationships or um I try to write from a like a queer perspective I suppose like and try and make that not the the focus of it but make it the the object of it if you know what I mean um I've written a few songs that are like about other people I was actually listening to you speaking to Mike McKenzie today and you'd recommended to him Jason Isbell because he is like he's a master. Oh, and just what a storyteller! Yeah, and that's who's always in my head when I have this conversation. Every time I'm listening to a song, I'm like, "Is that is that his life he's talking about? Did that happen to him?" Like, I think he's just a mm-hmm. master. Yeah, I, I I wanted to bring that up as well because like he's just such a just a wonderful storyteller, and um, I, I I take quite inspiration from him in the way that he writes. I, I like to draw. Be as honest as possible, but also there's an element of like you want to be confessional and write about yourself, but you also want to make it relatable for for other people um, and for people to be able to put their own experiences onto it as well. So I try and do that. And what is like your go-to instrument when you are writing it? Is it the guitar? Is it the fiddle? Like, do you have a melody in your head first and then the lyrics come? Like what is the, the kind of usual? I know you said there's not like a process as such it comes to you but how do you get it down on paper or out on an instrument um so i, I mean i'm I mostly right on um on acoustic guitar um but you know like sometimes a melody will come up and i'll just record it into my phone just a voice memo or like it'll just appear to me as i'm walking down the street or like i'm in on a bus or like whatever and i'll just be like just sort of mumble this like melody into into my phone but it, it, there's not really I don't really have like a an MO I suppose like it, it, it just sort of it happens how it happens and most of the songs that I've written that I've kept and that I perform came out like were pretty much done in the space of like an hour or so wow. um, and then obviously you do little tweaks in that um, following that but usually it falls out pretty pretty fully formed but then I can go like months and months where I've not written a song or nothing's come to me but then I'll write like three songs in a week that's kind of like I have like flashes of inspiration and then um yeah you obviously just in that moment go with your instinct and you don't overthink it too much it's just like this is the song that's Mm -hmm. came to me I've just got to get it out there and again going back to that that tagline of galactic folk it doesn't need to fit in a box necessarily Totally. I don't need to worry about it. I'm like, oh, that's not folky enough or that's not yeah, country yeah, enough yeah. or that's not poppy enough and, or that's not dancey enough. It just kind of like just is what it is. Mm. And, and collaborating with other musicians I've seen on your page, you've worked with mm-hmm. some amazing, beautiful singers. So my sort of, I'd call her my singing partner, is uh, someone called Emily Boyd. She's uh, one of my best mates and uh, a wonderful uh, jazz singer. Well, we sang together a lot. We started off singing together pop covers, like on face, like just on face, like our own personal Facebooks, cool. like 
Um, she has a band called Little Acres, who are just absolutely fabulous and um, incredible three-part harmony singers. And they, they do backing vocals for a lot of bands, like they do it for like Fat Suit and uh, like Tom McGuire and the Brass Holes. I don't know if you've yeah, heard. Yeah, cool. um, so they do they do loads of that and they're they're doing more and more of that. They're they're but they're their own band in their own right as well. I know that they're writing a and uh, putting together an EP at the moment um of their own original stuff, but um they are quite pretty quickly becoming known as like the b- backing singers t- to get in Glasgow and in Scotland. Yeah, I love playing with them. I mean, you're collaborating with with them. Is that very much like because you have this song, whether you've got it down in some sort of form already, that you can hear all elements of that song, what's going to be layered on top in terms of vocals and backing vocals? And have you got quite a clear idea of what you want a track to sound like, whether it's going to be played live or whether you're going to record it? That's interesting as well. So what I've done for the past few years is I've only played a handful of gigs with, I've played a lot of gigs on my own or a lot of gigs with like the trio, but like with the full band, I've only played like three or four uh, gigs. um, And we kind of jammed a lot of those songs together and like made it together. So the ones, the stuff that I've got out, the singles that I've got out at the moment, so Circles and Undertow and Better Off Alone, we kind of all did together under my guidance but I'm at the moment recording my album, like my first album, and I'm actually just working with a producer on that, and I'm kind of doing that a lot of that myself um, now, and sort of writing parts for people to come in and play, as opposed to sort of just jamming it out. And with with Little Acres, I mean the stuff that we've done, they've arranged the the backing vocals, or that. So there's a, a song then called Run Aground, which is. Um, we collaborated on in like January, February this year, um, and they uh, rec- they sort of arranged a, a backing vocal for that, and um, and we've done a couple of other like little things. We did like a, what are formerly known as the Dixie Chicks uh, uh, yes. cover um, early this year, and again that was like I sang it and they arranged the part, so they're like amazing arrangers as well, but. I love to collaborate. Like, I love playing music with other people. Like, I think some people really enjoy being a solo act, but I just love, I love when somebody writes, like, a fiddle part for a song that I've done or a harmony for a song that I've done or, you know, just whatever. Like, I I love that. That's, it's all about that for me. I'm guessing there's been several highlights. Like, obviously, releasing your own music is such a huge deal, but Mm -hmm. I would guess that would come with like a bit of trepidation as well like oh I'm putting it actually out into the world like when do you decide right it's ready and it's going out and it's going to be received it's one thing performing live and getting that amazing live response from an audience but putting out actual recordings of your music was that exciting or was it quite anxiety inducing (laughs) um it's it's mainly exciting for me I I just I'm like a little kid like showing people my like my macaroni drawing you know (laughs) like I'm just like look at this like tell me it's good (laughs) validation please like I think that's what all artists want (laughs) they want they live for the applause don't they it's interesting so circles like the last song that I put out um I recorded that in like February and then lockdown happened and I was sort of like I don't really know what to do with this and like at the time I, I mean I released it like maybe two or three weeks into lockdown so um it was 
I wasn't sure what to do with that. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to get to do like a single launch. Like maybe I won't bother. And then I was like, oh, like to hell with it. Like if not now, then when? Like who knows? Like at that time, it was like, who knows what the world's going to look like in a few months time. So it's like, I might as well just do it now. I don't like to sit on things. I know there's a couple of friends of mine that have had problems where, you know, they've recorded an album and they've had to wait like a year or more to put it out. And that's just gives me the fear, to be honest. I feel like, to a certain extent, like the art that you create is like representative of who you are at that time. And sometimes it's like, for me, it's like I want that to represent, that represents me now. So, and I'm quite critical of, you know, you pick it apart after you've done it. So like the sooner I can get it out, like the better, to be honest, because otherwise I'll just be like, oh no, like three months time, I'll be like, oh God, what was I doing there? So I'm I'm better just to, to do it. But I mean saying that I don't have that feeling so much with um most of the music that I put out um my first EP which is like is available but um a friend that I met or well I, I was an acquaintance but we became friends through the open mic thing that I did right at the start of doing Man of the Minch he recorded that in his living room and like I like the songs on it and but I feel like it's not really representative of okay. like actually what I can do in like who I am and what I'm trying to do. So, um, but again, I think that just happens naturally. We've mentioned Boafrosh. So I'm not even going to do it justice. So you are going to give me your elevator pitch for Boafrosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Boafrosh is basically, it's a it's a project that I put together um, a couple of years ago. Basically all it was, was a way to bring together queer or LGBTQIA traditional or folk uh, musicians together mm. to to make music and to talk and to to be together and to to hang out and um to sort of just create like a platform for us to to be there yeah. um so that's kind of really that's kind of really what Bofrost is and did you just feel that that was something that was missing it's funny Bofrost was something that kind of it's like an accident almost <laughs> um, I didn't set, set out to be like I need to write this wrong. Like we are not being heard in in the trad scene and the folk scene or whatever. What happened was is so again after the the dirty beggars finished and um, or sort of went on hiatus or whatever, and I was starting to do Man and Minch as well. And I was like, I'd really like to be in a band with like other like queer people. Like and Mike was talking about this as well, but like I don't really identify necessarily with the inverted commas gay scene. I don't want to sort of hang out with people just because they're queer, you know? Like, I don't think that's, like, enough of a reason to, like... Um, and that's probably from a, uh, a privileged standpoint on my behalf because, like, I haven't been... I, I had wonderful parents who accepted me for who I am, more than accepted me for who I am, and I, I had elements of that hardship, but I didn't have it, like, enormously. So, like, I don't feel the need to sort of, like hang out with queer people for the sake of being queer but like what I did miss is like in playing music is just being around is like having people that identify with you but like also like like the same things as you you know like um so as much as I'm like uh, I love elements of queer culture like stereotypically queer culture but like so anyway so I wanted to start a band and so I put an advert out on Gumtree, just looking for like any queer musicians that want to make like indie folk music or whatever. And 
I got quite a few responses and then I just started speaking to my fiddle player, Laura Wilkie, who is one of the best fiddle players in the country and I'm lucky enough to have her play for me. And we were talking about it and she, I, I didn't know that she um, identified as, as queer and she also, she knew a lot of other queer musicians in the in the scene, but like the, we just got to talking about it and there was like, there's nothing for us, like, and we don't talk about it and there's no platform for us and there's no, there's nowhere for us to go. So I was like, oh, maybe, I decided that maybe I would sort of, I was thinking about rather than starting a band, just like starting like a, you know, like a workshop or like a writing week or yeah. like a writer's retreat or something like that for, for queer musicians. And um, so I put a call out to just to see if anyone wanted, um, was interested in doing something like that. And I was just like inundated with emails and um, people were like, oh my God, like this is like, I didn't, I've been waiting for someone to do this. And I got an email from the Qualities sort of officer at Creative Scotland. And they were like, oh, this sounds like a really cool project. Like keep us updated. And I was like, Oh, they're going to give me money if I ask for it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I ended up applying for money, basically just putting together by myself this three-day workshop programme and ended up getting in touch with uh, Celtic Connections. And I was like, if if we, like, make some music, how would you feel about, like, putting on a show, like, to to, um, sort of showcase this music? Because... Um, I think it's really needed in the scene. And there was a lot of talk around that time about women in folk music, and there there still is to a huge degree, you know, about sexism in folk music. And I was like, well, and I think, like, queer phobia, homophobia, transphobia is rooted in misogyny. And um, so I was like, there's something in this here. And I was like, there needs to just be more diversity in general in the scene. So I, I said that to... Uh, connections and they were like well if you can get some money from uh, Create Scotland then um, we'll put on a gig but it ended up being just this huge thing like at the workshops I think we had about 20 musicians come and do it and we just wrote songs together we had uh, amazing some amazing tutors who helped sort of facilitate it because I was totally out of my element whereas as far as that was concerned um i'm a good organizer and i'm a good administrator and i'm good sort of like at putting things together and organizing people so i did that side of it um but i got some amazing musicians i've got rachel sermani uh laura wilkie who i spoke about there um and uh marit f felt who's a scandinavian mandola player who lives in edinburgh and uh grant mcfarlane who uh, is a tutor at Fesh Roche, uh, which is like a traditional uh, music teaching yeah. programme. And I also got uh, Josie Duncan, who's like a wonderful Gaelic singer. So they sort of helped, they did the sort of facilitation of it. And then we ended up doing a concert at the the Strathclyde Suite, which is in the Royal Concert Hall in Glasgow at Celtic Connections in 2019 to showcase that music. But we also had about 20 other musicians. We had about a total of 40 musicians wow. playing over two 45-minute sets. Um, so from, from that, we had Bert and Gumtree. I know, it's crazy. And it just sort of, like, spiralled out wildly out of control. I say out of control, but it seemed to it, it seemed to come together really well. And I just had so many amazing responses from it. Just so many people messaging me and, like, tell me, like, how much it meant to them. And, yeah. It's funny because like that was never my intention that was never like I didn't and I'm sort of keen to not appear that way that it's like I didn't do this to like be some sort of like 
you know, like to to break ground yeah, no. or to to be a trailblazer or anything like that. But yeah, just, just kind an of authentic, like, like an authentic kind of want for creativity in another outlet and a place where people could come yeah. and collaborate and feel seen and feel safe. It sounds like it just obviously was meant to be and it grew organically and everybody that was involved would have had an element to play in the the success of it as well. Oh God, yeah. There's so that was one of the things that just sort of occurred to me, like. And it sort of occurred to me on stage, actually, as we were like, I was sort of coming to the close of the, the concert and I was sort of up giving sort of some closing words. And I was like, God, I sort of felt like a bit of an island as like a, a queer folk musician. I didn't know there was a lot of them um, in the scene. And but not only is there lots of them, but there's some of the absolute like best in the in the scene. So like. It was just such a wonderful thing and I think like it really hung on it really hung on like the quality of the music and really hung on like and of the performers um I think that was really instrumental in its success like I think if we'd come up with crap music then it wouldn't have been as yeah it wouldn't have been the success that it was it would have been like a nice sure. thing for us to do but like luckily what came out of it like the music was just like it was just so great and um it's just I've been really sort of proud to um to be able to bring that into the trad scene and be able to talk about some issues that weren't talked about before and there's people that have come and spoken to me that are you know straight cis people in men and women in the in the scene that have sort of been like oh you've just you've opened my eyes and and which is just like the the best thing yeah never a bad thing i think as well it's been interesting both rush has been quite instrumental in like how quickly the Man in the Mint stuff has moved as well, I think. Like, I think the visibility that that gave me and the opportunities that that, have affor- that that afforded me, like, really pushed along Man in the Mint as well. And it's interesting, I've been sort of grappling with that recently and sort of, like, it feels weird to be able to use your, like, queerness as, like, a, as a lever when, like, that's not been a thing before. A, a, lever's, a lever's the wrong th- term, but, like, it's it's just interesting that it's it's that that's, like, help me find my place mm. like in the music scene and in in the tra- in the trad scene is like my queerness has like actually been not something that I needed to hide or like pretend that wasn't there like or you know conceal is the thing that sort of that's made me stand out I suppose it just sort of feels like it's all happened before I've realized you know um, and yeah. so I've just been like oh god like what's happened like all of a sudden and I'm get, I'm getting to do a lot more than I ever sort of expected to be able to do. But I think as well, when I was in the Dirty Beggars, playing in playing bluegrass music and being queer was like even stranger. Like, right. um, it's not something that you would expect. When I was in that band, it wasn't something that was something that I did feel like I had to hide. And mm. we toured the states a few times, um, like the Deep South. and there was a few situations that I was in that was like I'm barely getting away with this and like I think my sort of Scottishness disguised the fact that I was I was queer and in in certain situations and not all that's been really upsetting though for you like to have to conceal who you are and I can't even imagine you know that on any sort of level but um, even in that scenario like Mm -hmm. out there doing what you love to do and then feeling like vulnerable because it's vulnerable enough putting yourself on stage without Absolutely. having to then hide who who you really are. 
Yeah, I think there's an element of like, especially so in in that band, there was an element of like, when you play that kind of music, you sort of almost fetishize or like not fetishize, but sort of fantasize or mythologize that world of like, you know, moonshine and guns and, you know, that sort of hillbilly thing or the redneck thing. And it's like, it's all part of like, especially when you're playing bluegrass music, like it's all part of the, the fantasy of it, you know? And so I was in a band with like three or four of like my best pals and who were all straight guys. But for them, it was just like a dream fantasy that they could play in for like a few weeks or, you know. But for me, I was like, this is not like, there's elements of that that I, that I love, but there's parts of it that's like actually could be dangerous for mm, me, you know. That's, yeah, that's unthinkable, yeah. I guess like what you're doing now and you're getting to create your own music and it's on your terms, um, but also then go afresh and then being alongside people that like you say just like minded people because you like music and you have similar tastes and interests but and it just so happens that you're also part of that community then it just must feel like more like home for you but you can be your authentic self and that's where the best music and the best performances are going to come then I would imagine yeah I just feel like I'm able to be more authentic as a musician as and as a person like within that world than I've maybe felt like it could be before so it's uh yeah such a cool thing oh it really is so what uh, what are you currently working on what can you tell us yeah so working on my um my debut album yeah um so I'm probably about a quarter of the way through recording that um, I got more money from Creative Scotland to do that which is yeah. like I'm just so grateful for like you see people talking about like how difficult it is to get money out of Creative Scotland but that's definitely not been my experience <laughs> um, and so yeah I, I, they've um, very generously uh, funded the album I'm aiming to be finished by like the end of November and maybe have a hopefully try and have a single out by December and then release the album early next year but it's all kind of dependent on um I've got we label to release that so it's kind of dependent on what they think and like you know how viable it's going to be um because it, it, it'd be a shame to I feel like it'd be a shame to release it and not be able to to tour it or to do even do a launch gig or anything like that so I think we'll just kind of keep an eye on that yeah I totally get that as someone who's still in the house waiting for the world to spin I'm like come on now <laughs> absolutely so yeah but that's so I'm doing that just now um and it's a shame there was loads of stuff happening with Bullfrost this year that we didn't get to do we were meant to have a show at the at the Edinburgh Festival and um we were supposed to tour it a, a wee bit like a small smaller version of it but yeah so I all my sort of creative energy is being focused on um, on making the album just now. Yeah, it sounds like you're starting something that, uh, you know, that people would be like, right, so what's happening? Like, you know, you've started something that people now love and want to be a part of. Yeah, it seemed like it was going to be, like, because we did it two years in a row at Kelly Connections, because um, I met Mike through that. And uh, it's funny, me and Mike have had quite a sort of parallel experience like when we first became pals um was through doing Bullfrost and we kind of realized that you know he won the singer songwriter award last year and um he was a drummer I think before um 
before he became a singer songwriter and so we both had this sort of weird quick shoot up um at the same time so um i identified him we sort of identified with yeah, identify yeah, with each other quite a lot so um yeah so we'll just sort of see what happens it's all kind of a bit up in the air at the moment i mean for me personally it's been lovely to discover new music like yourself and that that has very much been on lockdown you know music that's been produced in Scotland, yeah. and it's just dead exciting to to know that there's this um flourishing of talent yeah. going on in scotland and um and certainly the pandemic hasn't halted anyone no absolutely i'm guessing you'll be the same as a lot of people like you've done live streams and various things via zoom and all all that kind of caper yeah i'm sick of that to be honest <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I hate live stream doing live stream shows i just hate it I, it's just not I find it so distracting. Like you're, all you're doing is looking at how many people, like at the numbers at the top of the screen, see how many people are watching, or and how many likes you've got, and how many comments you've got, and that's really it's just not what it's about. And I think as well, there's a part of me that's sort of like because because music's not my bread and butter at the moment. Mm-hmm. I just want to leave it to the people that do need, like, do you know what I mean? Like that that hey. need it and like are really struggling. I'm just quite enjoying actually, just like maybe hiding away a wee bit and just getting on with just making some music saying that like i don't think we should succumb to as consumers like i don't think we should be succumbing to fatigue like without like with the live stream thing like musicians just need like our support more than ever before and uh, i think like and paying for if you can like paying for live streams tipping like a lot of people do live streams and they've got tip jars like just yeah. helping people out i think like I, I just really like i'm i'm so relieved for myself that like i didn't go down that road when like when i was planning to you know i think we, it's really important that we support the arts yeah it's about being grateful for what you have and yeah if you can support in terms of money then mm-hmm. absolutely if people are knocking their pan in to put out content to keep you interested to absolutely. keep creative but also to put food in their bellies at this time then i you're you're spot on like do what you can to to support the music and i I saw something the other day there it was like when we do go back to gigging like don't ask your pals for free tickets just pay for a ticket yeah for sure there's actually something else that like i wanted to mention of course so there is a a collective they're called the bit collective they're they're trying to deal with misogyny and abuse like in the industry and they've got like a campaign just now that um is trad stands with her and um i would recommend that uh, anyone who is uh, likes traditional music and folk music uh looks up the bit collective um mm. their website is the bitcollective.co.uk um and they are doing a lot of amazing work uh, just now in sort of tackling uh, sexism and misogyny in the industry it's a difficult subject, but um, I think that uh, it's been rife in in the traditional music industry, and I think it's important that people are pay attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. What they are trying to do is not about calling anyone out, and it's not about cancelling anyone. It's just about changing the way that we work, we work, and we deal with things, and kind of try and make sure that it's not happening, like for female musicians in the future you've obviously got your finger in the pulse in terms of the industry that you're involved in and i think that's very important too that you're not just in your bubble where you're head down you know and very much when you are doing your thing it is very 
difficult sometimes to look up from the parapet and see what's going on, but it sounds to me that you you are making an effort to to be aware of your industry so. involved in, and that's important. Yeah, it's just been it's just been. I, I just think it's important to to be aware, um, and yeah, I, I think diversity is key. There needs to be a, a space for everyone. Perfect way to end this section of the podcast. Now, I don't think I told you about this. I don't really usually tell anybody, but I do a section of the podcast called The Thingamabobs. Right. So these are a list of random questions that I have been adding to over the last year and a bit that I've been doing the podcast. Cool. So I have selected a few for you, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Fire. Fire away. We'll start with one that divides the nation, believe it or not. Do you call it a house coat or a dressing gown? Uh, it's a goonie. <laughs> a goonie. And saying that, I would call, so I would call a, like a night dress a goonie. Okay, yeah. But then I would put a house coat on top. Okay. I, no, I would call it a dressing gown. But I think a dressing gown and a house coat are different things. Do you? Like, yeah. Please discuss. I don't know. I, like, in my head, that's I, I would I would think of them as different. Like, I would think of a, a dressing gown as, like, I would wear a dress, I, you put on a dressing gown to, like, get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night or whatever. But, like, I would have thought a house coat is something that you would, like, wear about the house. But I'm not yeah. a dressing gown wearer. I don't, like, I'm not a dressing gown and slippers type of guy. So, um... <laughs> See, this is why we ask these questions, to get the low down. <laughs> the hard-hitting, incisive questions, yeah. Why? Of course. <laughs> when there's, like, a quiz about you years later, people are like, I know this one because this time oh, I yeah, heard I'll, it on the podcast. See? That'll be on my Wikipedia page in, like, ten years' time. <laughs> Okay, that's fine. I'm happy enough with your answer. (laughs) Advice for your younger self. Oh, God. Um, Advice for my younger self. Um, It'll be fine. I would say um, not to get too deep about it, but um, I think that it'll be fine and people like you for you. Just just be yourself and uh, and everything will be grand. If you could sit down with someone and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or whatever your drink of choice would be, and they could tell you some of their most interesting stories, just whatever was interesting to them. I don't mean necessarily their celeb stories or, you know, this one night with such and such. Like, who would you like to sit down with an hour for an hour and just have like a right good gab with? Actually, um, you know who I would like to um, have a sit down and a chat? Dolly Parton. <gasps> yes. She's amazing. Um, she's amazing. Um, I listened to her, um, well, not her, but the podcast, uh, Dolly Parton's America, if you listen to that. No, but I will be now. It's, oh, it's amazing. And it's, um, it basically frames her history, her story and her history, but in context of like American history over the last like 50 years. Right. Um, but she's had such an incredible life and met so many incredible people and has really like done so much for just for like women particularly in country music and just in in general and like she i just think she's like the coolest and she gets a lot of stick uh, she has particularly recently she was getting a lot of stick for like you know not speaking up about like black lives matter and stuff but i think like dolly parton leads by like she doesn't have to say mm. like she just like the stuff she does with like you know she give free books for everyone and in, in uh, Tennessee and so that's uh, yeah. she that I think that's definitely my answer I think she's lived the most incredible life and has 
sang with and written with and like just done the most incredible things and uh, and it's like cool and and funny and yes. witty and wise like to go with it you know one of my favorite films is still magnolias cozy horror oh me too well, it's one of my favorite quotes actually well two of my favorite quotes are dolly parton quotes one is from steel magnolias yeah. and it's uh laughter through tears is my favorite emotion i love that, <laughs> I love and, that. which is totally me if you if you didn't laugh you'd cry and um and yeah it takes a lot of money to look this cheap love um, that. i just she's just she's just the She's the coolest. I don't know if this would be the same answer, but if you could duet with anyone, and, and that, that could be in any kind of musical sense, I don't Ooh. necessarily mean singing, who would it be? Casey Musgraves. Love Casey Musgraves. Oh, we've got such similar taste in music. I love her. Love her. Um, Golden Hour, her last album, is like my favourite album of all time. Um, and it, it really informed a lot of the Man of the Minch stuff as well, actually. Um, that sort of poppy, like, spacey pop country sort of thing. Um, but I just think she's awesome. Um, and uh, she, again, is a Dolly Parton type. Um, yeah. And where she's, like, sort of progressive, um, but um, still, like, country as hell. I just love her voice as well, and her songwriting's just brilliant. Uh, I take a lot of inspiration from her she does a lot of sort of like she likes to turn a phrase like a, a sort of a, a cliche or a like a mm. an aphorism or an idiom or whatever she will like sort of turn it on its head or like really get to kind of the core of like what the what that means and um yeah i just think she's amazing and i yeah, love her to death. Yeah, let's put that out in the ether and just see what comes <laughs> Lord knows I'm trying. Yeah. And the last question that I ask everyone on the podcast is, what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Glake it. Yes. I just glake it. I, I love that word. And I think it's such an evocative word. Like, I can picture the person that is describing. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, like, 100%. My favorite Scottish, his favorite Scottish word, or Bofrosh, of course. Bofrosh is Gaelic for rainbow. I don't think I, I don't think I explained I, that. I'm sorry, I, I already knew that because obviously Mike, Mike, Mike told you. Mike, Mike, Mike <laughs> so sorry, I should have said that. That's that's a fair yeah. point. Yeah, perfect, perfect title for for a wonderful, wonderful platform. And um, this has just been a joy. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, that's kind. I really appreciate it. And uh, I just have to say, like, I, I love what you're doing. I love your music. Um, and I, I'm just delighted that you're still getting to create in these weird and wonderful times. And I'm excited to hear what comes next for you. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Braw and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.